At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Good morning, church. It's a pleasure and honor to be here this morning with you. Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers. Let me just have a shout out to Pastor Vince, who is actually my spiritual father. Um, You as a campus um, get to enjoy his wisdom and his many years of being a a father and a pastor. Um, He has been a father to me, and um, uh, I love him very much, and uh, he knows that. And I've told him many times, and um, I'll share him with you for a little while. Is that all right? Uh, It's okay. I don't know how you were as a father, but I have to tell you, with, when I was thinking about this message and, um, and Father's Day, I, I thought I'd perhaps tell you, I, I think I blew it as a father, especially with my firstborn. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I, our firstborns are kind of special to us because we messed up the most with them. Anybody? Anybody? Three of you. Okay. The rest of you, you just have to pretend that it's true for me. Let me, let me explain. I, I, if I had known then what I know now, it had been far better. There's so much I have learned with my second and third, and and just with life experiences in general, that I would have made a much better father then with what I know today. I wish I had known then. I mean, simple things. I remember buying my daughter, my oldest daughter, a bike for a birthday, and, you know, the ones with training wheels, right? And, you know, you're supposed to let them ride around for a little bit and then raise the wheels and get them to balance and ride, and, well, I forgot, to raise the wheels. She got so used to riding around on that bike with the training wheels. And then, then I had to go on a business trip for a week or so, and, and I came back, and I finally realized, oh, I got to raise those wheels. So I started to raise the wheels, and, and she'd just ride at an angle. <laughs> and I'd raise them some more, thinking, you know, she'll figure it out. And she just, as the wheels went up, the, the angle kept getting longer, and she'd just ride around the neighborhood, tilted all to one side or the other. And I'm thinking... This isn't the way you're supposed to learn to ride a bike. And so finally, I took off the wheels. And you would think that the world had ended. She sat on the lawn, bawling her eyes out, because as far as she was concerned, Dad broke her bike. (laughs) Dad, I hate you because you broke my bike. Nothing I could have said to her would help her to get on that bike again. I had to put the wheels back on. <laughs> and there she is, riding around the, the neighborhood, tilted to one side. I'm thinking, she's going to fall off. Long story short, it took a lot of bribes with ice cream and sweets and donuts and cider and everything else to get her to ride. And she rides around just fine now. <laughs> the training wheels are off. But I wish I had known then what I know Training wheels serve a purpose, don't they? They are not meant to be permanent, are they? They're meant for a season, and after the season is over, you take the wheels off. They're not meant to be permanent. Crutches are the same way. If you you hurt your leg or your ankle and you need to be mobile, you get crutches, and you use those crutches for a season. And when you're whole again, do you need the crutches anymore? Thank you. Somebody had the answer. (laughs) No, you don't need the crutches anymore. It's not meant to be permanent. 
Well, what happens when those crutches that were never meant to be permanent, that were supposed to help us through a season of difficulty, whether to learn how to ride a bike or to get better with our feet or whatever, what happens when they become permanent in our lives? What happens when the crutches that were always supposed to be temporary, what happens when they start to become permanent and so permanent that we depend on them for survival? What happens when we can't live without them? We are in a series today, continuing in our series called Good Morning, Taking Our Sorrows to the Father. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Lamentations chapter 4, where we will continue in our series. This is the fourth lament, the fourth uh, dirge that Jeremiah sings or, or writes for us as he mourns the loss of everything he knows. And Today, we're going to come up close and personal in the streets of Jerusalem to take a really close look at the colors and the, and the feelings and the tensions going on in the streets of Jerusalem as Jeremiah sees it. And what we're going to see is that God has removed a lot of crutches. He's removed crutches from His people, God's people, that they had become dependent upon. And those crutches had replaced God. And when that happens, God removes those crutches. And that's what he's doing to his people. He's removing crutches. Crutches that they had become dependent on in place of God. And what we're going to find as we read through this chapter is that without God, people perish. Without God, people perish. We're going to see three things that God removed and learn some lessons as we go and as we read through the text. The first thing we learn as we read through the text is that precious people become worthless. Precious people become worthless. Let me start reading in chapter 4, verse number 1. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. Jeremiah sits outside of the city of Jerusalem on a hilltop overlooking the city. And the city is devastated, and the temple that was a wonder to behold, a wonder, in fact, an ancient wonder of the ancient world, was totally de devastated. The, the golden blocks that had made up that beautiful temple was now broken and, and, and strewn around the city streets, no longer gleaming because they were covered in dust and dirt. The gleaming of that golden building is gleaming no longer. But while Jeremiah starts with the picture of golden temples and blocks, his point isn't about the temple itself. It's actually about the people because you see in verse number 2 he says, The precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold. How they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hand. These were God's people. They were worth their weight in gold. They were precious people. They were the people God called out of the nations. They had the promises of God. God made a covenant with them. They were precious people. And yet God removes this crutch from them. He removes His hand of blessing and protection from them. And these precious people have now become worse than earthenware pottery, broken scattered across the city streets, worthless. And now Jeremiah zooms into the streets of Jerusalem in verse number 3. He says, even jackals offer the breast, they nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel. 
like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives it to them. Jackals and ostriches appear as a pair in, in scriptures. These are animals that occupy the wilderness places. And, and jackals were a very despised group of animals. And yet, Jeremiah says, even these despised animals nurse their young. But the people of Jerusalem, the mothers of these babies, can't even feed their young. They're like ostriches, and if you know anything about ostriches, you can read about them in Job chapter 39. Ostriches will lay their eggs and then abandon those eggs. And just like ostriches, the women, the mothers of Jerusalem were cruel. Their babies were abandoned in the streets, and they are starving. They're dying. They can't even cry for help because they're so dehydrated, they can't even cry. Their tongues are sticking to the roof of their mouth. Can you imagine that scene? It's a horrible scene. And yet as Jeremiah zooms into the streets of Jerusalem, as God's hand of protection and blessing have been removed from the city, these precious people who thought they had everything, who thought they, that nothing could harm them, the crutch has been removed and all that's left is a horrendous picture of hurt and pain and death and thirst and starvation. Verses, num verses 5 through 7 say, Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment. And no hands were wrung for her. Her, priest, her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as wood. It's a reference to the royal family. The royal family were, were clothed in purple. They ate the best of everything. They had the best of everything. All of the oils and all of the scents and all of the perfumes and everything else the royal family had. But because of the siege of Jerusalem, all of that has been taken away. Their finery is gone. The food is gone. Their, their perfume is gone. They're now on the streets digging through the garbage bins for, for survival. Their skin that was supple and beautiful and well-oiled, it's dry as wood, it's shriveled up. Can't even recognize them because they're covered in soot. Because God has removed a crutch. God has removed His hand of blessing. And in verse number 6, Saw, uh, Jeremiah says, God, even Sodom, the most godless city on the planet, you judged in just a moment. You destroyed it in just a moment by your hand. But that's not what's happening to Jerusalem. God, it's a prolonged siege. People are starving. And this is all coming not at your hand directly, but at the hands of pagan enemies who are savage and are destroying the nation slowly. And starvation is a horrible way to die. It's slow and torturous and, and agonizing. And in verse number 9, Jeremiah says, Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away pierced by the lack of the fruits of the field. Being a casualty of war is easier than starvation. Because if you are cut by a sword or a bullet, you're gone in an instant. Starvation? That's slow. That's horrendous. In fact, the next couple of verses talk about how horrendous and horrible 
life gets when you're starving. Notice what he says in verse number 10. The hands, this is hard to read, the hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They have become their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. Not the first time that Jeremiah has talked about cannibalism, and I won't have to say it anymore, but the horrendous situation when you're starving to death and mothers are willing to go to that extent for survival, the picture is horrible. Why? Because God has removed His hand of blessing from this nation. Why? Because they were unwilling to listen to the Word of God, unwilling to confess their sins, unwilling to turn away and to turn back to God. And so God removes His hand of blessing. God removes the crutch that they were so dependent on. And this is the rest. This is what happens when God's hand of blessing is removed. God had repeatedly sent prophets to them, warning them about the consequences of sin, and yet in spite of knowing the consequences, they chose to sin anyway. God removed the crutch, and the precious people of God, these special covenant people of God, are languishing in the streets, struggling to survive. Friends, Precious people have become worthless, but it's a lesson for you and me. Where is there perhaps sin in our lives? Where is there perhaps a crutch in our lives that we have become so dependent on that we cannot survive without it? What would happen if God were to remove that crutch? A crutch is anything or anyone you have become dependent on more than God. And, and the list really is endless, isn't it? It could be our job. It could be our money. It could be our investments. It could be our families. It could be our good looks. It could be anything. The list goes on. What is it that you and I have become dependent on that has taken the place of our dependence on God? And if God were to remove that from you today, how would you feel? For these precious people, their life crashed down. As far as they are concerned, their world is over. The world has come to an end. The temple is gone. The city is gone. The people are gone. Everything is gone because God's hand of blessing has been removed. The crutch that they depended on is gone. Friends, it's far better for us to say what David said in his psalm, O Lord, search me and try me and see what wicked way there is in, in me. And as God reveals to you what those sin areas might be in your life, to pray, God, forgive me, for I have sinned and I have come short of your glory. Remove this from me so that I might live in, in a right standing with you, that I might be righteous before you through Jesus Christ. Pray that before it gets to be the point where precious people become worthless. Secondly, we learn that idolatrous leaders lose God's protection. Idolatrous leaders lose God's protection. Jeremiah writes in verse 11, the Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot, hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe nor any of the inhabitants of the world that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. You know, oftentimes when, when we're struggling to in our society or we, we, are, we have issues economically or, or employment-wise or, or whatever, we tend to look to leaders. We tend to look to leaders who we hope will lead us to a better future. 
That's why we elect certain officials. That's why we follow after certain people or we listen to a certain podcast or, or we listen or read certain books is we hope that that leader, that person can help lead us to a better future, a brighter future. But what happens when the leaders fail us? What happens when the people that we put our faith and hope in to lead us to that better future fail us? That's what's happening here. In fact, we're going to read a couple of verses that talk about that. But yet before we get there, in verse number 12, these people not only thought themselves God's special people, but they thought that the city was impregnable. As long as the walls of the city were standing, there was nothing that could touch them. I want to read for you just a passage from Psalm 48. Just listen to these words as the psalmist talks about Jerusalem. This is how they saw Jerusalem. Psalm 48, verse 1, the great, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion in the, in the far north, the, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made Himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded, they were in panic, they took to flight." You see, as the kings of the nations around them looked at Jerusalem, they knew that the God of Israel was a real God, a powerful God. They thought twice before they came after Jerusalem. And, and the people of God, assuming that God was in their midst, said, we got nothing to be afraid of. As long as Jerusalem is standing, everything is fine. We have that in our culture, don't we? As long as the flag is flying, everything is what? That's why we sing the Star-Spangled Banner, right? I woke up the next morning and I saw the flag flying and everything was going to be just fine. But what happens if it's not fine? What happens when the world we know and the world we expect to be here tomorrow isn't the world we expected? If you didn't think about that five years ago, how's your world today? This is a very different world than just 18 months ago. Who would have thought we would be here? There we go. <clears throat> Verse number 13 goes on to say, This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. Prophets and priests are supposed to speak the counsel of God. They're supposed to declare, thus says the Lord. But what happens when the prophets and the priests fail to do that? What happens when the prophets and priests label the real prophets as being false prophets? What happens when they reject the word of God and start leading people down the wrong path? What happens when our leaders fail us and take us down wrong avenues that are full of dead ends. That's what happened. In fact, not only did these prophets and priests reject the counsel of God and the righteous prophets of God, they killed them. They murdered them. And in fact, God judges them severely. Notice in verse number 14, <clears throat> Jeremiah goes on to say, they wandered. These are the prophets and priests. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood. That is the righteous blood of, of the real prophets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. 
So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. These prophets and priests were guilty of spiritual malpractice, and God vented his wrath on them. These men who were supposed to tell people what was right and wrong, these men who were supposed to tell people what was touchable and untouchable, became untouchable, declared so by the people. They were so covered in the blood of righteous prophets that the people themselves looked at them and said, no, don't come any closer. We don't want to touch you. Get away. It was so bad even the pagan nations wanted nothing to do with them. What happens when our leaders fail us? What happens when all of our crutches are removed? What happens when everything is stripped away? What happens as God takes one crutch after another from our lives and we're left devastated and broken and ruined because we thought we couldn't live without those things or those people? For these people, everything is gone. Everything they had put their hope in and trust in, everything they thought was going to be there tomorrow, it's all gone for these people. They're in the streets devastated because God is venting His full wrath against sin on these people, His people. Friends, that can happen to us. God can remove those crutches from us in an instant, and perhaps you're here today And those crutches have been removed from you. Perhaps you find yourself today broken because of where you find yourself. Perhaps you're here today and you never expected to be still single at this point in your life. Perhaps today you never expected your marriage to end the way it did. You expected it to go on forever. Perhaps you never expected your children to end up the way they did. God has removed crutches from our life for the purpose not to destroy us, but so that when we are broken and we recognize our self-sufficiency, we recognize the fact that we had placed our hope and trust in all of these other people and all of these other things, that when we come down to the bottom of the well and we have nothing left, when everything else is stripped away and we find that all we have is Jesus, we'll learn that when everything else is gone, all we ever needed is Jesus. You see, when we're at the bottom and there's no one else and it drives drives us to our knees and to the throne room of God, that's not really a bad place to be, is it? It's actually a good place. For those of you who have been broken and who have found the rest and hope that can only be found at the foot of Jesus, you know that brokenness is not a bad place to be, especially if it drives us to God. Because God removes crutches from our lives for that purpose. To show us where we have placed our dependency. To show us where we have let someone or something take the place of God. And God slowly removes that sometimes from our life. To show us where we have come short. So that we, after having those crutches removed, can turn our eyes back to Him from where our strength can come. We need to hold on to Him to say, Lord, forgive me for putting my faith and trust in all of these people and all of these things that have taken the place of you. And we cling to his feet and we wait on him and we wait for him to renew our strength to help us go on to face tomorrow. 
as we come to the end of the chapter, we find that the end comes with a ray of hope. In verse 17, Jeremiah writes, Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near, our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. You see, Israel had made all of these covenants, all these political alliances. They had all of these agreements with all of these nations around them, and they thought that when the Babylonians came, they could just rely on these other nations to come help them, the biggest of which was Egypt. And they thought because the Babylonians came, these Egyptians who were pretty powerful would come from the south to their aid. And, and, the, and, and to be fair, the Egyptians tried, but they got, well, they got whooped. <laughs> Because the Babylonians were stronger and faster and better and, and just all around blessed by God. They thought that their cousins, the Edomites, might come from the southeast to help them. After all, their family. But no, the Edomites sat back and clapped. Go get them, Babylonians. They deserve whatever that's coming to them. And then when the Babylonians were done, the Edomites came and pillaged the city. There's no help from anybody. All of their political alliances are gone, shriveled up in a moment. No one wants to face the Babylonians. Another crutch is taken away. And then in verse 20, the final crutch is taken away. He says, the breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. It's a reference to King Zedekiah. This son of David, who was anointed to be king, who, who was the king of Israel, this was the breath of their nostrils. They thought as long as there was a king who was the son of David sitting on the throne that everything would be fine. But if you read in 2 Kings chapter 25, you read the escape story or the attempted escape. King Zedekiah and the royal family made a hole in the wall and they ran through it into the desert thinking they could escape. But remember, the Babylonians were what? faster and stronger and smarter, and no matter where they ran, they got caught. And they lined up Zedek the sons of Zedekiah in front of him. They executed one after the other after the other, and then they gouged out his eyes, put him in chains, and exiled him to Babylon. Gone is the last crutch for these people. The person they had put their final hope in, as long as he's there, we're okay. Well, there, he's gone too. Everything is gone. And it's from the bottom of the well in this desperate, dark pit of brokenness that Jeremiah then writes the verses 21 and 22 where he says, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz, but to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer but your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish, he will uncover your sin. Edom who clapped, who cheered on the Babylonians, Jeremiah says, go ahead, laugh it up. Your day is coming. God's going to pass to you the same cup of wrath that we drank. Your day is coming. But the ray of hope isn't about the judgment on Edom. It's the first part of verse 22. It says, The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. 
You see, everything is stripped away. All of their hopes, all of their dreams, everything that they had ever trusted is gone. The temple that showed them their relationship to God, gone. The walls of a city that they truly thought was impenetrable, gone. The special people who were in covenant with God, who was supposed to be a blessing to the nations, are dead or dying or deported. Everything has been stripped away. And yet, Jeremiah writes, your punishment will come to an end. Folks, even the punishment isn't forever. Even the brokenness that you experience today isn't meant to be forever. It's a means to an end. And so God brings them to the bottom to break them Yes, to ruin them. Yes, to bring them to a point of desperation so that they can then look to God. And by looking to God, they can see where their strength is supposed to come from. And so when everything else is stripped away from us, God says your punishment isn't forever. Your exile isn't forever. This covenant-keeping God will keep His promises. And after 70 years, you know the story. The exile is over and Israel comes back to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild a temple, rebuild a nation. God keeps His covenant promises and they do come back. But even though King Zedekiah is gone, even though this anointed one of God is gone because of his sin, all is not lost. You see, while this exile is temporary, there is an ultimate end to every exile. Because God is going to send upon this world an anointed son of David who has no sin. God sent Jesus into this world who knew no sin to live among us, to ultimately go to a cross, to be crucified because you and I had sinned so bad and turned our backs on him. We were enemies of God and yet Jesus came to die in the, on the cross, a death we should have died, an exile that we were in. Jesus was exiled from the face of the Father because of you and me. And there on the cross, as he took upon himself the sins of the world, as God the Father poured out upon him the sins of the entire human race, he who knew no sin became sin for you and for me. God exiled him so that he could bring all of us home. He became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Our exile has come to an end. Salvation has been accomplished. Same word, by the way. And when that was done, Jesus cried out from the cross, it is what? Finished! It's done! Everything that had to be paid has been paid. You and I have nothing left to pay. Jesus paid it all. Your sin has been paid on the cross. Your, your unrighteousness has been paid on the cross. Your death has been paid on the cross. The penalty has been paid on the cross. Everything that we owed was paid by Jesus on the cross. It is finished. And all you and I have to do is say, yes, Jesus. I'm sorry for the sins I have committed. I'm sorry for the things I have done. I accept you as Lord and Savior. I accept what you have done for me on the cross. Would you be Lord and Savior of my life? If you do that... No matter how broken life can get, there's a ray of hope that he took on himself your exile and finished that penalty for you so that you could be brought to God to be made right with him so that 
your brokenness can be then rebuilt into the image of God in you. Praise God that it is in fact finished. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.